May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I wonder what you're bringing with you this Easter. I don't know about you, but I find when I get to these moments in the year, these big feast days that mark time in a special way, I get a bit more reflective. And I think about what's going on in the wider world beyond just my own day-to-day -day life. And especially this week, as we've come through Holy Week, and we've gone through the events of Monday Thursday, when Jesus was betrayed at his last meal with his disciples and arrested. And on Good Friday, when he was crucified. And Holy Saturday, when he was in the tomb. And his disciples, his friends, his closest followers, had no idea what was going to happen next? In these dark days, it was easy for me to think about dark things in the world. And of course, if we read the news, there's no shortage of things that can occupy our attention. And on this feast of great joy, I've noted that there are more words in our English language for what we might simplistically call negative emotions, and not quite as many for what we might call positive emotions. So what are you bringing with you this Easter? We can think of many stories in our lives and in our world of pain and suffering. Well, the story that we've rehearsed this week, Good Friday and Easter, Death and the Resurrection, really says something to that that we bring. Theologian Anna Case Winters talks about crucifixion and resurrection in a really helpful way. She says that in the crucifixion of Jesus, we see God showing solidarity with us in our trials. In Jesus' passion, we find a God who knows what it's like to experience the worst that humanity has to be allowed. Rejection, scapegoating, betrayal, public shaming. As a priest, I often am asked the question, why does God allow suffering? You've maybe heard that question. You've maybe asked that question. You've maybe asked that question many times. Well, in light of a God who comes to us and suffers, one who has solidarity with us, my only answer to the question, why does God allow suffering, is, I don't know. But God suffers with us. I do believe that God suffers with us, and I find some comfort there. But the story doesn't end there. The story goes on to resurrection. And Case Winters points out that the resurrection is where God goes beyond just showing solidarity with us. There's also an act of resistance. The resurrection is the promise that God does indeed act to overcome that which oppresses and that which destroys. That God does actively oppose evil and suffering. That God does answer our prayer to save us from the time of trial and deliver us from harm. Of course, you may find yourself sometimes asking, like I do, uh, okay God, when are you going to get on with doing that? 
And then I find myself falling back on these words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The world is not as it should be, but God is working to move it to where it should be, even if it seems like the work is unfolding painfully slowly. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So there's this thing some of us do in church when we hear the gospel reading, where we make a small sign of the cross on our foreheads and on our hearts and on our lips. Now, I'm one of those people who sing, says more is more when it comes to using gesture and our bodies in worship. I will cross myself every chance I get. And if I've seen anyone else cross themselves at a certain part of the service, whether I have a clue why, I will do it. Because you know what? We're called to love God with our bodies as well as our minds and hearts, so go for it. But this one I do have a lot of meaning. When I was a child, my mother taught me what she learned when she was a child. That when we hear the gospel read, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we make a cross on our head to remind us to meditate on these words in our mind. We make a cross over our heart to treasure them in our hearts. And we make a cross over our lips to remind us that it's also our call to proclaim what we have heard and what we have discovered. As I read the Easter story this year, I am struck by the experience of the two Marys who go to the tomb early in the morning on that first Easter day. First, that they showed up. They're the only two that were, are recorded in Matthew's Gospel that show up there. They showed up. There's really something to just being there, just showing up. There's really no spirituality of any depth. It doesn't have some level of intention. It doesn't have some deliberate act. So even if nothing happens when we pray or meditate or worship, we can put ourselves in a place where something might. They didn't come to the tomb that morning with any particular expectations. They didn't know how the story was going to unfold. They were just there. They just showed up. Boy, were they surprised. An angel comes flying down out of heaven. And there must have been some turbulence or something. Because the landing is a bit hard. There's an earthquake when the angel lands and rolls away the stone. And then the angel tells the woman, Jesus is not here. Jesus has been raised. Go and tell the other disciples what you've seen and heard. Immediately, his first witnesses of the resurrection become the first apostles sent out to tell the good news that Christ is risen. And as they're running to go and tell the other disciples, they encounter Jesus. Isn't it interesting that they didn't see Jesus in the tomb? If they had met Jesus in the tomb, it might have been this cozy little moment, something they might meditate on their minds, they might treasure in their hearts. But it's when they're told to go and tell, when they're on their way, that is where they find Jesus. They don't find him in the cave, they find him on the road. 
Meditate on this in your mind. Treasure it in your heart and proclaim it with your lips. God wants us involved in this work of setting things right. God wants us to be co-workers in making all things new. One of the great poets of our Christian tradition, Gerard Manley Hopkins, has this wonderful poem, As Kingfishers Catch Fire. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each touch string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out the being indoors each one dwells. Sells, goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his to the Father, through the features of men's faces. We are invited to be actors in the drama that is playing out. Agents in the moral universe, working to bend that arc toward justice. We're not left on our own to bend it. But neither do we passively wait for God to do the work. We are co-workers with God. What I do is me, for that I came. The just one justices, for Christ played in 10,000 places. So like the women on that first Easter morning, go and act in God's eye what in God's eye you are. Go and let Christ play in you. Go and tell this good news that Christ is risen, that a new day is dawning. Go and tell it with your lips and with your life. And as you go, may you find Christ on the road. Amen. Yeah.